my name is Muta. I am one of the servants here at Relevant Church. And, you know, uh, it's, it's such a blessing to be in this space because when I say I'm one of the servants at Relevant Church, I'm talking about Relevant Church, the entire house. I get to serve at Relevant Church in Niles, Michigan. We've got our team on here. We came out for the 316 conference, and it was so, so awesome to be able to just hang out and see what God is doing here and just encourage us to go back and take the vision that uh, Pastor Jonah has just so freshly just brought to this community, and now it's going to impact the region, and it's already impacting the world because we're all the way clear across the country. But, you know, it's crazy for me to be here this morning. Because uh, there's something you should know. This is a secret, all right? Lean in real quick. So, Pastor Jordan and I actually really never even liked each other a while back. Like, we hated each other so much. So, there's uh, a time when I called how all of this went down. Uh, Pastor Jonah and I have known each other for many years. Uh, I called the house. I may or may not have been trying to talk to his little sister, you know, but that's neither here nor there. Um, well, I called the house, and Pastor Jonah grabbed the phone, and he was just like, who is this? I was like, oh, man, this is, he's on the phone. And he gave me some choice words. This is pre-save state. He gave me some choice words, and in the uh, 2016 Save Jonah version, he just says, don't ever call here again. We'll just leave it at that, right? But it's amazing how Jesus uh, just comes through the gospel and redeems and brings people back together and reconciles. Isn't that incredible? I'm sitting here uh, uh, across from him at a table and just thinking, my God, all these years... And look at where we are today. So I'm so thankful to Pastor Jonah and the staff team here, Pastor Scott, Pastor Kevin, the worship team, all the volunteers, all the people on research. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for allowing me to present the word to you guys this morning. I know this goes without saying, but Pastor Jonah is one of the most brilliant, one of the most passionate, humble, and just inspiring individuals I know. You guys are lucky. Absolutely. We are all So honored to serve alongside him. So we are in part two of a series called We Will Run. And Pastor Jonah killed it last week. Were you here last week? Just preached an amazing word. I got to watch it on video back home. And so this weekend, he's asked me to share part two in this series. So if you missed part one, I'll tell you, go check it out. iTunes, go to Relevant316.com, catch the video. It's It'll bless you. It'll bless you. But in this series, we just want to ask one question. When God gives you a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, what are you going to do? Will you sit and say, oh, you know, that's nice. Will you stand and look and say, yeah, that's pretty interesting, or will you run? Will you run? Let's go ahead and play the video.
taken from Luke 15, verse 20. We're, we're talking about running here. And so while we're on the topic of running, i got to tell you guys a little story about myself and my journey to run. So um, I decided at one point in my life that, you know what, it's time for me to get up and start doing something. It's time for me to start exercising. And I, I was actually uh, quite... Uh, heavier than I, I am right now. I've lost quite a bit of weight, but at that time, I was like, you know, somebody told me one of the best ways for you to get in shape is to start running, so I started running. And it just so happened that one of my uh, business associates was uh, heard about me wanting to run, and he was a marathoner, and he did his thing, and, and so he was like, dude, I want to come out and run with you as well, too. And so I said, all right, cool, you know, I, I, go easy on me. I, I don't run a whole lot. So uh, we, we, we got together one day. He just lived right around the corner from me. And so I show up, you know, I've got some shorts on and some running shoes and a T-shirt. And he walks up and he's got his little mandex on. Not spandex, he's a, it was a manly man. So he's a, he had his mandex on, his little dry fit tee, and he was like ready to go. I'm like, all right, come on, let's run. So he was like, all right, let's go. And we start going down the road, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. He was like, okay, that was a great warm-up. When are we going to start running? I said, uh, that's what we've been doing, isn't it? I mean, he was just like, man, let's pick up the pace. So we start going a little more, and everything is going good. And then I don't know if you've ever about, uh, been out running, but ever felt your chest start burning? And I was just like, hey, hold on, that's not supposed to happen, is it? So I was like, hey, Glenn, Glenn, um, let's slow down, man. Um, my chest is beginning to burn. And he was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Just, just keep, keep pushing through it. I said, well, you know, what I usually do is like I run a little bit and then I walk a little bit. He was like, dude, you never just keep running. Let's go. So I'm going down the road and we're going a little faster. He's picking up the space. And now my chest feels like it's about to cave in. And I'm like, uh, Glenn, I, I think I'm done here, dude. Like, we've got to stop. He was like, no, just push through. You're going to get your second win. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm all winded out. I got third, fourth wins. It's done. I don't have any more left in me. And so, no, he says, think about what you're trying to achieve. Think about the goal that you're working towards. Keep your eyes on the goal. You want to run a marathon. You want to lose weight. Think about it like this. You see that stop sign right there? Just run until that stop sign. Just keep going. And then we got to the stop sign. He was like, keep running some more. Just keep thinking about that goal that you want. And for many of us, if we're honest, that's what our lives are like, right? We, we have these goals and the, the idea of running towards something uh, feels good but and it sounds good, but as soon as our chest begins to burn a little bit, we want to slow down, if not quit, totally. And for some of us, that's what our Christian journey has been like. We want to run to Jesus. It sounds good, but when you actually start running and realize what it takes, you start slowing down. If not, completely bail. Have you guys heard the concept of a vision board? You know what a vision board? How many people in here have a vision board? 
Alright, we got a few people. So I had a vision board on my uh, computer. What a vision board is, if you don't know what a vision board is, it's, it's something that you want to aspire to. It's some goals that you want to achieve. It's some things that you're placing in front of your life and you're saying, I want to run towards that. I want to work towards that. So on my vision board, you know, in, in my offices, is uh, pre-ministry, I had this house that I wanted, this car that I wanted, this lifestyle that I wanted to live, and then God called me to ministry, and I said, okay, never mind. I was supposed to be a pastor. Scott, you got that right. Amen. But let me challenge you with this. In order for you to run, you've got to know what you're running to. And, and, and let me change it up like this. In order for you to run, you've got to know who you're running for, Christian. Grab your Bibles with me. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible in here, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Like uh, one of the pastors said yesterday at 316, turn your Bible on. And let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And as you go there, let me just pray over this again. God, this is your time. This is your space. Let your word speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's read through this text. How many people you got it? Say, if you got Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, say, I got it. <clears throat> All right, let's go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It reads like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So he talks about this cloud of witnesses in verse 1. We're going to break it down verse by verse, phrase by phrase. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, obviously, if you are into the English language at all, you know when somebody says, therefore, that means there's something that comes before it. There's something that he's talking about is connecting the past to the present. And he's saying, therefore, since we have a cloud of witnesses, so who are this cloud of witnesses? You're basing our running off of a, a cloud of witnesses that we need to be uh, aware of. So do me a favor and go back to chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 32. We're going to read about these cloud of witnesses. This word cloud metaphorically was used in Greek literature uh, for a group of people, a gathering of people. So football season is coming back into uh, season here shortly. And so when we're talking about people in the stadiums, you can say, hey, there was a cloud of people in the stadiums. There was a cloud of people at 316. And so who are these people? Verse 32. He says, and what more shall I say? The writer of Hebrews says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, not Obama, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, 
enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Imagine if that was your resume. Stopped the mouths of lions. Conquered everything that I put my mind towards. Accomplished every goal that I chose to. That would be awesome if our resume read like that, right? These people have a pretty darn good resume, don't you think? But let's keep reading. Verse 35 says, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You still want that resume? So you got Disneyland over here. Hey, you know, I work for Disney. Hey, I work for ESPN. Hey, I work for all of these. It all sounds good. But you know what? I also got fired from every single job. I also got lied on. They, they said that I stole property, that I stole money. And you're coming, you got all these accolades, but at the end of the day, all these negative things happen to you. And this are the individuals we're talking about, what they went through. These were the individuals, these clouds of witnesses, this, the, their faith. Your stick with itness. These are the individuals that stuck with Christ. They stuck with God through all of it. They risked it all to join God at work. These individuals uh, put the priority on God's glory and not their story. They pursued God with everything that they did. Their lives were a witness to the deep faith commitment that they had. And I love how the message translation puts it. It says, do you see what this means, all these pioneers who blazed the way? These are the hills that we're walking, that, that, that we're running after. These individuals that blazed the path before us. And then he goes on to say, he said, well, as these cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Every way. Or anything that keeps you from pursuing the goal. Anything that keeps you from moving forward. Anything that hinders you. Whether morally or otherwise. He says that sin which sings so close, that, that, that clings so closely. You know that thing? Your coping mechanism? The thing that we do when, when we're... Uh, when things aren't going the way we want to, so we, we, we revert back to that thing. The sin that we know about, that we just go towards, nobody else knows about it, but this is the thing that makes me feel good about myself. He says, lay that thing aside. And do me a favor, young man, real quick. Come here. So check this out. You're standing here, right? Lay aside my body. Exactly. He was like, what? 
You can't lay aside something that you're not holding, right? Now, if I gave you my Bible, I said lay it aside, right? Lay, lay aside the Bible. And for some of us, we, we, we're holding on to these sin patterns, these baggage, this worry, that fear. And Paul, I mean, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, lay it aside. Stop holding it thinking you can go sit down. It's a baggage that's weighing you down. Put it aside. And then he goes on, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it's funny, he uses race as a metaphor for the Christian life. Both have a start, both have a finish. Both uh, are ran on a path that others created before us. Both take time and both take endurance and both have an end point where there's a prize that is received. You know, anybody who knows anything about running knows that you don't need endurance really for like a hundred meter dash, right? We got Usain Bolt, he can just suck wind one time, boom, he's done. Any runners in here? You don't need a whole lot of endurance for a hundred meter dash, but the long race, the marathon, it takes endurance. And this is what this individual is saying about our Christian life, that it's a marathon. It takes endurance. And one of my buddies, Derek Rosses, he's a marathon runner. And all throughout the year, rain, sleet, snow, you guys, uh, anyone who's ever been to the Midwest, sometimes there's two feet of snow outside, and my man Derek is out there running, and he's posting stuff on Facebook, and I'm like, what are you doing? That, that's ridiculous. And every time he's running, and this is what he posts with everything. There is no off-season. But let me talk to the Christians here for a second. You ever said, you know, I'm just, I'm just not in a season to serve. You know, I'm just, I'm in a different season in my life. God is asking me to just take a step aside and, you know, I'm just, I, it's just not the right season for me. You know, maybe if it was a different season in my life and this individual say, run with endurance, there is no off season in your Christian journey. It's something that we're supposed to continuously walk out. But you can't run if you don't know what you're running for. And for us, who consider ourselves believers, Christians, we can't run if we don't know who we're running for. See, running for myself, I'll easily give up. When I was running by myself, going down the road, I could stop after 20 yards and be like, Whoo, yeah, I did that thing. I'm good. It's easy for me to give up and say, you know what, it's not that worth it. I'll just walk this thing out. If I'm running for others, it's easy to get discouraged because as soon as that person upsets me, I'll just quit. I'll give up. If I'm going to church because I want to please my parents, if I'm going to church because I want to please my boyfriend or my girlfriend, if I'm pursuing this goal because other people will think so highly of me once I accomplish it, as soon as they turn their eyes, guess what you're going to do? Stop. It's not going to be worth it anymore. I don't know. Did, did we get that picture? Were we able to pull that picture up?
So this is a picture that was going around Facebook not too long ago. You see Michael Phelps out in the league. He's got his eye on the prize. He knows what he's looking for. He knows what he's swimming for. But the other guy who lost, where are his eyes? They're on Michael Phelps. He's not looking towards his goal. He doesn't know where, how close the finish line is because he's too busy looking elsewhere. And for us in our lives, let me ask you this. Who are you running for? Why do you do what you do? What are you living for? Let me challenge you with this. Jesus is the only one worthy of our focus. Jesus is the only one worthy for us to keep our eyes on. So in our last few moments together, I just want to go over six points with you guys. And it's, I'm going to encourage us to consider Jesus with the latter part of this text. So point number one, consider Jesus' commitment to living faithfully. Let's start in verse two. So he set the foundation of why, how we should be running. And he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. In Greek, this designates the originator, the leader of our faith. Somebody who sets the model for us. Jesus showed us what true faith looked like. He lived a life of utter faithfulness. And in Luke, it tells us the story of Jesus getting ready to go to the cross. He's got the entire weight of the world on his shoulders. He's in this garden. He knows what's coming. And he's kneeling down and he's praying. He's probably laying prostrate. And he's asking the Father. He's like, hey, look, you know what? If, if you would take this cup away from me. And I love it because we see Jesus' humanity in that moment. His chest is burning. He's a God, I'm tired. But listen to what he says, Luke 2, 22. He says, Luke 22, 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's committed to living faithfully. He's committed to going through what he came to do. Let me ask you this. Are you more about God's will than yours? In life, when your chest is burning, in serving, when your chest is burning, when loving your wife, when your chest is burning, are you committed to living faithfully and pursuing your goal? Are you committed to finishing it through? Point number two, consider Jesus' commitment to holiness. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, verse two, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking at Jesus, the founder and the perfecter, Jesus perfectly lived a life on earth. Jesus was fully God and fully man when he was able to live a sinless life on this earth. First Peter 2.22 tells us this about Jesus. It says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that 
you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The word protector, perfecter. Not only did he live perfectly without sin, but perfecter also means somebody who's able to deepen and mature our faith. It says when Christ's perfection leads to the perfection of his people if we focus on him. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we look at Jesus, as we gaze upon him, as we watch him, as we consider him, as we consider his life living faithfully, as we consider his uh, pursuit of holiness, his, his utter holiness, we end up becoming like him. And I remember as a young person, I grew up in the hip-hop generation. Any hip-hop heads in here? There you go. I grew up in the hip-hop generation, and one of my favorite uh, rappers was Nas. And like many young people, I had a, a wall that was dedicated to Nas. I had, uh, you know, nowadays I was just like, that was a shrine to Nas. I had him all over my wall. I wanted to be like Nas. I listened to his music. I memorized his lyrics. I just always was looking at Nas. And eventually, I even started to put on a fake New York accent. And I was like, yo, what's up, y'all? I wanted to be Nas. Eventually, I started speaking like him. And this, and this, this text is telling us, Jesus, who's a perfecter of our faith, if we consider his holiness, eventually we begin to live like him and look like him and strive for holiness like him. Consider Jesus' commitment to living faithfully. Consider Jesus' commitment to holiness. Consider Jesus' commitment to the prize. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Josephus is a Jewish historian, right? He said that prizes in those times were set before uh, athletes so that they knew what they were running for. They could see what it was that they were chasing. And I love this quote. It says, Jesus' attention was not on the pain of the cross, but the glory of the crown. Jesus wasn't worried about what it took to get to where he was going. He was committed to the prize. And in your life, how committed are you to your prize? Whatever it is. Committed to finishing school, young people. Committed to this relationship. Committed to this pursuit of, of, of growth in my faith. Pursuing the, the commitment to whatever it is, this business that I want to run, this initiative that I want to do. Are you constantly looking at the prize? What is your vision board? Do you have a vision board of where you're going? John 17, 4. We find out that Jesus' commitment was to the prize. It says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus Christ was not uh, sitting there looking at all the trials that he was going through. His eyes were fixed on the goal. And I remember one of my buddy's fathers talks about this concept of navel gazing. It's like, that's what we do. We want something in life, but we're too busy looking at our navels, looking down and complaining about what we have, what we don't have, what resources we don't have, what trials are in the way, what everything that stands in front of us. I can't do this because I can't do this because I don't have this opportunity. He's like, stop navel gazing and start looking at the prize. You heard what Pastor Jonah said when he was sitting down with the two gentlemen. He was just like, I, the goal is a hundred churches. We want to see people come to faith in Jesus. And by God's grace, it's really only 98 because we got relevant Grand Rapids and relevant Niles. His eye is on the goal. He's not looking at what limitations are in front of him. Consider, consider Jesus' commitment to the prize. Point number four, consider Jesus' commitment to sacrifice. The cross represents the hardest, greatest suffering in history. Known to any man. The wages of sin are death, God says. And Jesus says, done. I'll do it. I'll take care of that. Crucifixion was everything done to humiliate, dishonor, and in addition to the torture that came with it. So for a moment here, can we talk about crucifixion? Can we just think about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ endured? So pre-crucifixion, torture usually in, involved flogging and could also include burning, raking, and mutilation. Sorry to get serious for a moment, but let's consider Jesus. He had his eye on the prize. After undergoing the pre-crucifixion torture, the victim was compelled to carry his or her crossbeam, the patibulum, to the place of crucifixion. Chest burning. Tired. Heavy. This road is heavy. And the pseudo-menudo, uh, a third century uh, historian said this, and this is him recounting watching a crucifixion take place. He says, punished on their tortured bodies, they see the stake, i.e. the cross, because it was either a, a beam that was set in the ground or you were crucified onto a tree. He says, tortured bodies, they see the stake as their fate. In the bitterest of torment, they've been fastened with nails to become evil banquets for birds and terrible scraps for dogs. Then it says, victims were almost always executed without clothing. We see in Jesus' story, they're fighting over who's going to have his garments. They strip him naked. probably to make them more susceptible to blows and to increase their shame. Artemidius says this. 
And then finally, he says, it was suggested that the criminal was elevated just above his or her own height. If he or she was to be displayed to persons from afar a little higher, several texts suggest that the victim was kept low enough to the ground that dogs and others, wild beasts, could gnaw on the legs of the corpse. That's what your and my sin deserved. Hmm. He did that. And he beat that. Yeah. So that we don't have to experience that. Amen. Consider Jesus' commitment to the sacrifice. Now point number five, consider Jesus' commitment to humility. He says this. Can I get somebody on the keys, maybe? He said, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your life. In your life. Listen, Jesus is on the cross, right? And these individuals are crucifying him. They're beating him. They've flogged him. They've done all of this to him. And consider Jesus' humility. Because what does he say in Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He suffered at the hands of the individuals he was saving. It's... it's it's easy to deal with pain and shame and hurt from people who you don't like anyway and you know they don't like you. But imagine the pain of dealing with hurt from an individual who you're giving your life over to. You're doing this for them. Consider Jesus' commitment to humility. Consider... Point number six, our last point. Consider whether you are as committed to Jesus as he was to his father. You know, we've been saying consider him, and in verse three, this phrase that says consider him, it's like an accountant who takes two ledgers and they're matching them against each other. It's talking about a deep look at everything that's on this sheet and comparing uh, life against life. He says, consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary. Look deeply at his life. Compare your life to his. Your suffering to his. See how he ran in the face of constant opposition. See his reward for his obedience and his endurance. Verse 2 tells us that he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Can I challenge you something? Christianity is not a cakewalk. Your life is not a cakewalk. The pursuit of anything important in life is not a cakewalk. Christianity is a cross-bearing, self-sacrificial run to obedience and humility and endurance for the glory of Jesus' name. See, he ran to the Father for the crown. 
We glorify Christ when we bear our cross. But we won't be able to bear our cross. We won't be able to complete the race if we don't know who we're running for. Have you ever seen one of those individuals who's just so excited about their faith? Those individuals who, when they quote scripture, they're not quoting it to put you down. They're quoting it to give you life. And you're like, man, I want to be able to do that. Maybe it was one of your grandmothers. One of those individuals that no matter what happens in their life, they always seem to have a good outlook on what's going on. They always seem to have the right answer when they turn to the cross. Have you ever had one of those individuals in your life? I'll challenge you with this. That person knows who and what they're running for. And in your life, whatever you're pursuing, let me challenge you with this. Jesus Christ is the only one who will get you there. Consider his life. Consider Jesus. Because he is not only the author, but the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. And you can't run if you don't know who you're running for. Consider Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ to come as a sacrifice for us, for our sins. Lord, he came. He died and he was resurrected on the third day, Lord, so that we don't have to endure the same pain. We don't have to endure the same shame. But Lord, I thank you that he was also a model of what it is to live a life of faithfulness. God, I pray that in all of our endeavors, in all of our life, especially our faith, that we'll consider Jesus. Lord, that we will follow him. And when all is said and done, Lord, when this age comes to a close, like he received the glory of the crown to sit next to you in heaven, Lord, we will also hear those faithful words that say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of our Lord, and for that end, Lord, we will run. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.